Hey everyone, welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast where we bring the best minds in finance together. This is your host Indus. I am the Chief Savings Officer at Kolam during the week and a pilot on weekends. But enough about me. Let's talk to our very special guest. Welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast. Today my guest is Yani Sivilikas. Yani has held leadership positions at Deloitte and for the last several years he has been with Sanofi. Yani, it's a pleasure to speak to you today. You've spent quite a bit of time at Sanofi. Uh I have a question on that. In a world where people move jobs almost every couple of years, you've spent quite a bit of time. Is there a value for youngsters to be in a single job or keep hopping around? Well, uh Indus first of all, thank you very much for inviting me to your very interesting sessions. Uh, hopefully we will have an interesting discussion for uh, younger and older audiences uh, alike. So, it's true that uh, you know, people who stick with a company for a long time are becoming kind of a rare commodity nowadays. <laughs> It is a more, let's say, clear path for people to move around. Uh not only to you know increase their salary and their perks but um because the the economies overall have become much more dynamic so it makes sense uh, that you can uh, shift uh, in in different uh, industries and of course there are many opportunities in the process to you know to get a masters to get professional qualification so you don't even have to stick to to one profession and finance is a profession that is uh, quite general i would say i mean there are various different routes to definitely to the business or for people with uh, more technical expertise they they can go to information technology there, there are such uh, paths that are available to people nowadays personally i am more of a i would say more a traditional stable kind of uh, finance professional i mean uh, i studied economics which is uh, rather theoretical academic uh, discipline and then did a masters in economics and finance which was very theoretical i would say but when i moved uh, when i started my professional career i started from a big uh, for accounting firm auditing firm uh, deloitte and i trained as a chartered accountant in the process so i suppose this kind of uh, <laughs> there was uh, some kind of um, influence from these traditional uh, career choices um, which meant that when i left the accounting and auditing profession and joined pharma uh, i thought it was very exciting to stay in pharma for a extended period and sanofi offered a very good uh, place for uh, not only for learning new things but really getting familiar with all the changes within finance as well as the fact that these were very turbulent times and when i joined the industry we had a very severe financial crisis in the beginning of 2010 and uh, there were always things to do and a lot of transformation and reorganization so i didn't get bored <laughs> very interesting Take us back in time when you were a little kid or you were in high school is finance or was finance always on your mind is this something that you were doing right now or you always wanted to do That's a very interesting question because when you think about your choices with the benefit of hindsight you can always say I mean the easy thing to say is that okay I could have chosen differently In my case I would say that um, what I chose to do 
was not at the time, you know, at the end of high school, let's say. When and, and I started in the UK, so I was preparing for my GCEs and all that. And uh, at the time, the more popular choices for students, you know, of, of a good standard at school were, I would say, engineering. And uh, the obvious choices, at least in the country where I come from, which is uh, to become a doctor or a lawyer. But this was never something that I had on my mind. So when I studied economics, I would say it was kind of a last resort choice because I hadn't made up my mind what I want to do. And it was general enough. So you could, at the time, we were thinking about choices, let's say, even in journalism. Somebody could become, uh, you know, a writer for uh, an economics journal. It was, uh, or even to combine this with politics. Uh, let's say in the of, in the domain of the social sciences. So I, I was attracted uh, to that. It was a bit of a compromise for me because the more popular professions were not really uh, professions where I wouldn't see myself uh, as an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer. So I guess it was uh, a nice compromise. But it did prove that it was very close to my skills and preferences. So I have a very practical mindset. And uh, this can very easily be put into practice when you join the finance profession overall, whether you join a bank or a company or a small firm or a big multinational, you can always explore this area. Were your family members disappointed that you did not choose the doctor or the engineer path? Uh, Not at all. My parents didn't have that uh, kind of let's say, prejudice. <laughs> In <laughs> fact, my, my father was an actor and uh, he was just anxious that... I also have a sister, a younger sister, and uh, he w- was just anxious that none of his offspring uh, chose uh, the <laughs> to become Acting an actor or an actress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so he was very glad when uh, both me and my, and my sister, we chose kind of uh, traditional uh, professions. Well... My sister became a psychologist, which is a rather harder path to follow, especially in a country such as Greece. But uh, yeah, for me, it was, he was perfectly happy with my choice. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Talk about your first job. You were at Deloitte, campus selection. You know, we have had several guests, you know, similar to your profile. They also mentioned, hey, big four as the first step in the career and then of course, as the world opens up. How did that happen for you? Let's say the the obvious choice for people who were consciously looking to have a good head start with their career, instead of joining a company from the lowest ranks of the organization, let's say in finance, and doing stuff that would be, you know, transactional, rather tedious, and uh, perhaps with not many prospects of uh, learning fast and moving ahead fast in a company. With an audit firm, you had the luxury to, by definition, to go and audit different uh, clients. So you met people and uh, this helped a lot with uh, your extroversion as well, apart from the technical skills. You also had to train as a chartered accountant, which was a very nice addition to theoretical academic studies that most of us had. So what really was the common element, I remember from the pool of people who were joining the interviews with those big auditing firms, was that we were rather rather ambitious. And this was the, a nice path for us to, 
to move ahead with our careers. And of course, there were those of us who were more interested in the um, consulting and financial advisory part, which, let's say, was more attractive. Because honestly, nobody is uh, very keen to learn or to become proficient in accounting, let's say, or even auditing. And I myself, I, I would have preferred to have started with uh, you know, financial advisory, due diligence, uh, company valuations, M&A type of activities. But it turned out that it was a more solid, I would say, more solid training in the auditing, in the external auditing profession. And uh, it's, it's something that I never regretted. It takes some uh, effort, of course, to finish your qualification. And it's rather hard because you have to work and train at the time and take your exams and all that. But it's definitely worthwhile doing it. And when you are young, I mean, you can... Uh, this is a small sacrifice, let's say, for an ambitious young person. Got it. And how did the change to Sanofi happen? Yes, well, um, when you are working as uh, in those big four uh, companies, at some point... And, you know, five years working for them is, is a good point to really think hard about whether you want to stay there and develop as a professional at the level of manager and then hopefully to become a partner, whether you really like this kind of a job or you you will move into industry. I was, I was in the pool of people who were really interested to go and see, you know, the real companies and uh, how they operate, but from within the organizations. And um, I had some experience auditing pharma companies, and I was lucky enough that at the time when it was in 2006, um, because of my knowledge and familiarity with the Sarbanes-Oxley framework, so new legislation at the time after the, the big scandal with Enron, um, some positions in the industry in subsidiaries of uh, multinationals who were listed in the New York Stock Exchange were offered, and uh, you know the, the Sanofi one was uh, was perfect one for me because at the time also actually this was this was a time that was kind of uh, people who are uh, you know who have some experience in the industry look back at those years with kind of a romantic feeling because <laughs> <laughs> these were the easy years of uh, expansion of uh, pharmaceutical expenditure in Greece but in all I would say Europe western Europe uh, what we now call mature markets at the time they were they were thriving they were growing um, there still were uh, many medicines you know, for uh, diseases that are now considered to be more or less, uh, where medical needs are now more or less met. But at the time, you had, you know, medicines in for cardiovascular diseases, for diabetes. With uh, There was always competition, but not so fierce competition and not such severe restrictions on the budgets of governments in Europe. So there were plenty of things because of, let's say, the, the good years uh, that uh, in terms of projects that uh, could happen within finance that were very interesting to do at the level of the country, which was uh, much, this, all this changed uh, dramatically five years after I joined Sanofi. But I was fortunate enough to join Sanofi at the time when it was a growing business and the business that offered many opportunities to, to people who were joining to work really close with the business to, to meet the needs of the business at the time. How big was it when you joined and how big was it until recently? 
Greece at the time was selling something like 400 million euros. And now today it's uh, about 150. So you can see the, the magnitude of the, the reduction because, uh, well, there are many parameters there. There are many medicines that lost their patent, so mm. what we would call a patent cliff. So this is a kind of normal cycle of the life of, of a medicine. So if your portfolio, for whatever reason, is not ready with new medicines, you have a drop in revenue. But primarily, this was a, the big drop in sales in Greece was a result of the fiscal crisis of, of Greece as a sovereign state in the beginning of uh, actually in 2010. That impacted severely all the industries, all the sectors where the state is, uh, is the buyer of services or of products. And obviously, medicines are to a very great extent reimbursed by the state. So some very severe and drastic measures had to be taken by, on behalf of the government to reduce both the volumes and the prices of medicinal products. So I joined in 2006 until 2010. I was very busy. I was serving in different positions, so in internal controls and SOX compliance. Then I moved to controlling and, uh, let's say, budgeting and reporting. And these were the good years, and I was also heavily involved in project management. We were doing several projects for the benefit of the business internally and as a and as a subsidiary, as a standalone subsidiary to meet the needs of the Greek and the Cypriot affiliates. But then from 2010 onwards, we were just managing the crisis for at least five years. Mm. And uh, these were very difficult years. But of course, there is much experience and uh, condensed experience, I would say, that you accumulate during such, such periods. So, yeah. You recently left Sanofi. And of course, I'm sure you're trying to figure out some quiet time, downtime for all those years that you have put in. What's the plan next? So the plan is, um, I am thinking about uh, starting my own business, if possible, in a sector that I would uh, find personally appealing, not necessarily commercially attractive. But of course, there you have to, to balance, you know, your personal preference and, and what the market can justify, let's say, as a, as a business endeavor. But I don't, uh, you know, I have not excluded the, the prospect of returning to finance, which I, which I really liked. And I have spent, you know, almost more than 20 years, actually. So there's valuable experience for me still to reap in this, uh, in this domain. Um, a third option which I am currently exploring is to move to a consultant role in my old uh, area of uh, academic uh, expertise, which is economics. I would enjoy actually working as an economist. It's just that in Greece we don't have uh, positions, it's a rather small market, small economy, so, and the Greek civil service and uh, the state authorities overall don't have... Uh, do not have too many positions of interest to senior economists to offer. But still, there are some opportunities for companies that uh, can provide consulting services irrespective of location of their employees. Obviously, after COVID, we have seen this, uh, this part of... Uh, it's, it's a totally new world. It will keep on expanding. So for people such as me who are still interested to stay within their, uh, you know, their home country, I mean, uh, increasingly, we have opportunities to work uh, from home, especially in the services industry. So I would like to exploit that. Did your role evolve in the time or when the time when you joined Sanofi versus, of, 
when you you know recently left, of course, um, responsibilities changed. But were you doing the same kind of a work 10, 15 years ago versus now? This is a very you know pertinent question. Uh, and it uh, has to do with exactly the, um, the way that the finance profession has changed within a span of, I would say, at most a decade. So when I joined uh, uh, Sanofi and even before that, when I was serving as external auditor, you could see, even from the mere organizational chart of finance uh, departments in all the companies, at least in Greece, but I would say in most of companies in Western Europe, you had the, um, you know, a CFO managing the, the usual departments, so accounting, treasury, tax, internal controls, uh, budgeting and reporting. You also had sometimes this person managing kind of administrative functions or under an administrative hat, let's say, of the job, so procurement or even information technology, mm-hmm. information systems, whatever the name was. This was very much the, the pyramid-like organizational uh, chart of finance that went along with a similarly pyramid uh, organizational chart of a subsidiary of a company. So one general manager to who all, you know, both business, marketing, sales, and all the administrative functions were reporting solid line to. And we knew from our textbooks that this is not, this is not the only organizational structure that is available. But uh, in practice, this was the one that uh, was the prevalent one. Then I would say from, again, 2010, progressively, most uh, companies move to a matrix organization. What does this mean? Full verticalization of all functions. And general managers become kind of um, operations managers of, you know, of a country, of a range of activities. With uh, Depending on the size of the company, you also had global uh, or local business units that were also independent. So the idea there is to break the silos so that you don't need to go through one person, one GM, to get things done. And each department should have its own strategy, but it should be a strategy that is aligned with the company or the regional strategy at large. So this was very much a transformation journey for all of us, I mean, all professionals in general. But especially within finance, it meant that um, from a comprehensive way of doing things, if you were serving, let's say, as a CFO, you move to a more piecemeal approach. Several functions, in any case, were either outsourced Mm. or through the verticalization within the company, they became independent. So those functions were no longer reporting directly to the CFO. They were reporting indirectly, but this means it's a different uh, kind of managerial style that is called from from the CFO to manage those those departments. (laughs) And then... Progressively, the role split to the pure business partnering, finance business partnering, as they as they called it in Sanofi component, and the traditional uh, finance role, which they called it finance operations. Names don't matter a lot. It's just that mm. either you are focused really close to the business and you are their controller, their uh, you can still call it CFO, you know, their their finance uh, partner. Or you will stick to the more traditional finance roles, which are accounting, tax, treasury, internal controls, and you will have an expert kind of uh, function and role. And of course, what we also saw, which was a, a drastic change versus the future, was the, the decrease of the importance of the country strategy and its uh, substitution by the zone or regional strategy. 
clustering of countries with new mana, uh, management teams that were uh, pertaining to the zone or the region and uh, global strategies that uh, the local teams were responsible to implement and no longer to, to drive, let's say. No, but just a final point. So I'm, I myself, I served for three years as a zone CFO. I was responsible for the geographical area of the Balkans. Then uh, Israel joined us as well. So obviously you can understand it was a totally different kind of game, even in terms of uh, how you think about how you will spend your eight hours at the office or at home, you know from wherever you were serving. It was more uh, managing people and people with diverse backgrounds and nationalities and cultures and uh, more coordinating and uh, trying to see that the strategy is indeed implemented rather than leading uh, any kind of local initiatives and uh, problem solving at the local level. Got it. You mentioned about the reporting structure and verticalization. Did IT and procurement report to the finance org or they reported to the respective business units and the general manager? Yeah, so very early in the in this process of transformation, let's say beginning of 2010, those departments completely left the finance family, both procurement and uh, IT. And they were, at least in Sanofi, they were uh, verticalized within themselves. So they were reporting up to the level of the group, let's say in headquarters in Paris, to a procurement head or to an IT head. Uh, then at some point they changed this organizational structure and they had profiles within procurement and within uh, IT respectively who were business partners directly to the business units. But this did not happen, and I'm sure there are, there are different ways of doing it. And you know, Sanofi is just one of the Sanofi's arrangement was was just one of many. But they didn't change the organizational uh, structure itself, the reporting lines. But still, you were supposed to serve directly, uh, you know, a partner from from business and to be more focused to the business priorities. But in my experience, those priorities. This is, of course, I'm someone who has, although I spent three years officially working for a zone, I still consider myself kind of local. And I was considered, mm. you know, during my career in Sanofi, you know, Yanis is somebody who really knows his markets and he can tell us how things are from the local perspective versus people who make decisions in uh, Paris headquarters. But what I would, so from this perspective, I must say that the business partnering that all support functions or enabling functions or call them what you like were supposed to do was always from the point of view of the headquarters and not from the point of view of the local uh, market or the local industry or of local management. So this really requires a mindset uh, change for the people who stay local. And uh, we, we spent quite a lot of time dealing with this uh, cultural element. You know, it, it, perhaps it sounds a bit soft, but it's really crucial for an organization that is undergoing uh, this kind of drastic change where effectively power is shifted to the headquarters. And this is a clear strategy and it has to be implemented. You need to really work with, uh, with the people and convince them that this has to be done. And for them, more importantly, to find the place and the role that is still meaningful for them. Got it. Got it. Changing the type of questions, we also have young finance professionals as our audience, people who have just started their career. What is one or two pieces of advice you would give them? Well, um, 
many people nowadays, because of all the options and the freedom of choice that we have, really the, the first um, advice I would offer is if you are convinced that you like finance, do it. If you are not convinced, <laughs> really explore your options. I'm saying this with, um, let's say, building on, on what I said before. Our profession has changed a lot. Mm. In any case, part of finance is sure to, for certain, will disappear in the future. I mean, it will be automated. There will be positions, I'm sure, for people who will be sitting somewhere in big organizations driving those huge automation and standardization activities. But I would say that the profile of those people would increasingly be closer to information technology and not necessarily finance. Perhaps people with a good degree in IT and some, I don't know, an MBA, so some kind of familiarity with finance, but you, know, you, you wouldn't need to be a chartered accountant to do that, that's for sure. So that would be my first uh, piece of advice, which I'm sure that most managers offer to young people. You know, Really know what you like and try to pursue what you like instead of being attracted from the remuneration or other things. The second uh, piece of advice is um, for finance professionals. I would still think that in the beginning of one's career, it's really worthwhile to train formally to obtain a professional qualification. It doesn't have to be, you know, the chartered accountancy one. You know, there is uh, there are types of professional uh, qualifications, and especially for people who are interested in uh, in finance. But I think it's something. It's an investment, and it also gives you a lot of confidence because those are not academic degrees. They do not necessarily open your mind, but they do give you the skills that are really needed to progress within an organization. And I would also say that to a large extent, they would give the skills for somebody to start one's own business. You know, it gives some structure to what would be a kind of very hectic and very indefinite requirement. So I think it's still something that is worthwhile doing. Of course, I cannot say that, uh, you know, things are always changing, but uh, I, I think it's a good piece of advice. Got it. Did you have a mentor? Did you have somebody who influenced you in your journey? Yes, I did. And um, the good thing about mentorship is that in companies now are trying to do it formally with a very structured approach, you know, assigning people and especially to young talents. But it is really beneficial if one is open to create this type of relationship uh, himself or herself. So my first uh, boss at uh, supervisor at Sanofi, the CFO at the time, was, was a huge mentor for me. I learned from him everything that has to do with teamwork because he was very much a, a people's manager rather than just a, you know, a, a person who is an excellent finance professional. Um, in Deloitte as well, uh, I had uh, not so senior members of the organization, but uh, people who were two or three years ahead of me in the audit profession, from who I really learned a lot uh, in terms of how to position myself within small teams and also within uh, our peers from, uh, from, from our clients. And then when I moved on, as you move on with your career, it's more difficult in my experience to have a mentor. Mm. It is easier with younger profiles to be mentors to them, even if you have just, let's say, 10 years of experience. Then if you have 20 years of experience, you will need somebody with 30 and then they don't have the time or... <laughs> 
it is even, I would say, it's more difficult to have a, a good level of communication, meaningful communication. That is uh, because the mentorship relationship is supposed to be two-way, a two-way one, not just for the benefit of the mentee. It should also benefit the mentor as well. So I would say that I had uh, more friends and uh, colleagues who I trusted, but it was like a, a relationship that was on a clear, uh, same kind of uh, footing. What books do you recommend one should read if they are interested in finance or entering their career? To tell you the truth, um, my first attraction to the finance profession came from economics. I would say that, um, and assuming that people will also get a professional uh, qualification, I would say that books that are relate to the history of economics are especially interesting reads for people early on in, in their career. And, you know, you can pick anyone you like from, from the big economists of the past or a history of, uh, of economic thought is also very interesting for people to read, especially in the early stages in their career. Because you would never do it later on unless <laughs> for some reason you decide to get a, a master's or something. Got it. My last question for you, Yanni, that you mentioned you've been around during the 2010 economic crisis. And feels like we are entering another one. The U.S. economy is going to go into recession. What's your point of view on this? Well, it is uh, striking that um, this crisis, you know, we are entering what is called, you know, probably stagflation. So periods of, as you, as you mentioned, uh, recession and probably combined with, uh, with inflation, which is a double challenge, I would say. We have the experience of the 70s. But I think now the challenge is bigger because it appears at least that we are, uh, you know, from, from what we read in, uh, as analysis from, from the top and trying to predict the future. Perhaps we are entering a new kind of Cold War, but with an economy that, I mean, de facto is uh, internationalized. So this is a war where <laughs> this is the good side of it uh, that cannot become uh, too severe, I would say. I mean, it would be a big cost to all parties involved to say that, okay, now we cut our uh, commercial uh, trade uh, ties and it's all from scratch, you know, I don't know, east-west, let's say, or whatever, uh, capitalism versus, I don't know, controlled uh, economies. So it's very difficult to make predictions. Um, as a person, I prefer to remain optimistic you know, when there is hardship, it is, there is, there is also big opportunity for change. And what the planet definitely needs is some uh, solution of the global warming. So hopefully all these um, energy-related crises with uh, fossil fuel and even natural gas will mean that there will be more incentive for investments in really green energy which the, the planet badly needs and which would be a more secure uh, investment for the future of, of mankind in general. Although I'm not really optimistic about coordination <laughs> among nations, to tell you the truth, at least, you know, as an economist, the private incentives, let's say at the level, the national incentives should be enough to drive governments to really incentivize investments in solar energy and uh, wind and uh, all the green sources of energy so that uh, we will collectively find the individual solutions that uh, are good for the planet and for all of us. Amazing. Thank you for that uh, soundbite. 
Thank you, Yanni, for coming on this call and uh, sharing your wisdom. Great to have you here. Good luck for future. Would love to meet again. Thank you very much, Indus. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I hope to you all the best with your future endeavors and to have uh, as many interesting uh, podcasts uh, as you yeah, can. Absolutely. Have a great evening. Talk to you later. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chief Future Officer Podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback and it'd be amazing if you could share this with anyone who may find this interesting. That's me, Indus from Kolam, signing off. See you in the next episode.